2016 Grammy Award nominee Judith Farmer's playing has been described by critics as impeccable, masterly, absolutely superb and brilliant. Judith enjoys a rich and varied career as a chamber musician, orchestra musician, soloist and teacher. Formerly the principal bassoonist of the Austrian Radio Symphony Orchestra, she performed and toured regularly with the Kammerata Academica Salzburg under Schendelweger and with numerous chamber music ensembles in Vienna. In 1996, she moved to Los Angeles and since then has performed with the Los Angeles Philharmonic, including as guest associate principal in spring of 2009. She has played on the scores of over 200 major motion pictures and recorded with such artists as Daft Punk, Barbara Streisand, Neil Young, Josh Groban and Billy Charles. She is currently a member of the Los Angeles Opera Orchestra, the Pasadena Symphony and the Long Beach Symphony. She has appeared as a soloist in the US and in Europe, including the Salzburg Festival, and has performed in numerous chamber music festivals. Judith received her education at Indiana University and at the Hochschule for Music in Vienna. She teaches bassoon at the University of Southern California and has held guest masterclasses at numerous American universities. For the 1995-96 season, she held the position of visiting professor at the Hochschule for Music in Graz, Austria. Judith is an avid chamber musician and enjoys collaborating with composers on new works and has had numerous works written and dedicated to her. Her recordings as a soloist and chamber musician are available on Albany, CD Baby, Centaur, X House and Ophia Records. Together with her husband, composer Gennard Wolfgang, she co-produced four CDs of his chamber music for Albany Records including Passing Through, for which she received a 2016 Grammy nomination in the category Best Classical Compendium. And welcome back to Legends of Read. My name is Joanne Sukumaran, and today I'm really pleased to have with me Judith Farmer. Welcome to the show, Judith. Thank you so much for having me. How are things right now in Los Angeles? Are things back to normal, for example, performances and teaching on campus? Um, I, I, <laughs> I don't think we can call it normal. I, it's a very overused phrase, this uh, new normal. Um, but uh, we are going back to performances at the opera. 
this this week our rehearsals start for Trovatore, and uh, we started teaching at the University of Southern California last week. Um, the wind players have to teach outside, so it's fortunate that we have such wonderful weather here. <laughs> so um, we're yeah, we're just trying to. The LA County apparently has some of the strictest uh, rules about COVID in in the United States. So they just, you know, we have to be masked all the time. And as I say, no, no aerosol producing inside. We cannot <laughs> be in the inside with other players. But oh. we, we had our first classes last Sunday. It was actually kind of nice. So <laughs> I see. Yeah, yeah. Wow. Okay. <laughs> At least it's happening in person. Yeah, I think. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, some teachers are choosing to still teach online, but I just, I just, had to see my students <laughs> to yeah. be in person. Yeah. And we stand six feet apart, you know, we're very careful, but okay. um, yeah, it's, yeah. So I wouldn't say it's back to normal, but we're back. <laughs> back. Okay. Yeah, I, I read uh, your biography and I understand that you have a very multifaceted career of performing, uh, recording, and also teaching, right? You teach at the Thornton School of Music at USC. Uh, could you briefly describe your teaching philosophy to us? Um, I would say what I try the most to do is that I've had the real, truly great privilege of studying with two of the best bassoonists of their generation, uh, Carl Erdberger, principal bassoon of the Vienna Philharmonic, and Mordecai Reschmann, who is still with us. I think he's 95 or 96 now, was principal bassoon of the Israel Philharmonic. Um, and so I just mainly try to pass on what I got from them. I feel so fortunate that I got to study with these fine musicians. And uh, um, I, I try to focus on uh, really having great fundamentals because uh, you, you can't build a castle in the sand. You have to <laughs> really have a firm foundation and uh, then you can fly. But uh, I think a problem for a lot of young bassoonists is, you know, we start late compared to other instruments, and then we try to play the Sanson Sonata before we can really play a G major scale well. And uh, so, uh, but the emphasis is also always on the music as well, so that within building our technique, that, that we're always keeping the music in mind, so not just empty technique for technique's sake. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So do you, um, do you find that um, many students study technique just uh, too much in that sense? I think they practice technique without any kind of musical consideration. Um, Milan Turkovich likes to say uh, some people use music to play the bassoon. He wants to use the bassoon to play music. So mm -hmm. it's just uh, the music should always be the bottom line. I'm sure you've heard a lot of great players who have fantastic fingers, but they don't have much to say. Yes, actually, uh, uh, especially in <laughs> concerts when you feel um, it was just a really good performance, but something was missing. And what you say is something to say, right? Yeah. Yeah. Oh. yeah, yeah. We just try to incorporate all that, and that's not as easy as it sounds. I think that's true. <laughs> mm. Yeah, so um, we were just talking about this pandemic. So I was just wondering, how did you stay productive? Um, because I see that you just uh, released an album in 2020, right? Uh, yeah. Yes, I've, my, my husband, uh, composer Gernot Wolfgang, is very good at coming up with great ideas. And uh, 
he had encouraged me some years ago to make a CD. And so, and I had a concept for the album was uh, the Sunan recital, what I thought would be a good recital of, you know, having something from the Baroque era, classical era, French conservatory piece, something contemporary. Um, because many of my students will come and say they want to do all these French conservatory pieces on their recital. And I said, no, you need variety. You need something from each era. And uh, so I just wanted to try to put something together like that. And in all honesty, that I didn't complete the album. There were supposed to be a couple other things on there, but um, <laughs> um, got most of it done. And I recorded that quite some time ago. And um, it was just a good pandemic process. Uh, project. We had the recordings lying around and we had time to edit it because nobody was working. So mm. that, that came up and I don't know if uh, you saw something that was also a big project during the pandemic. I, I did a video recording of Billy Child's Sonata for bassoon and piano. Mm. That is really a wonderful piece. Um, if you're not familiar with it, that's worth it. That's worth your time. Mm. <laughs> it's challenging, but it's very good. I was lucky I got to do some recordings for several other chamber music series, which there are no audience, of course, but we would go in and do a live concert and it would be recorded and streamed. We did uh, Mozart and uh, Beethoven Woodman sextets. And uh, my husband, Gernot, has a very nice piece for clarinet and bassoon we recorded. And um, we're involved in a festival here called Here Now. And we, re we recorded several pieces for that. Those will be coming out now in late September. A new piece by my husband for bassoon, cello, and piano. And uh, I don't know if you know the name, Sarah Gibson. She's a local composer here. She wrote a piece for bassoon doubling on melodica and bass clarinet. So, <laughs> so those, those are, yeah, things that have kept me busy during the pandemic. <laughs> so bassoon, melodica, and bass clarinet. Yeah, I don't have to play bass clarinet. I just have to play bassoon ah. and melodica. Right. Oh. Okay. <laughs> it, it was fun. Okay, that's interesting. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, uh, I think if um, there was also a bassoonist who had a piece with a vacuum cleaner, I don't know if you heard. Oh, I haven't heard about that. Do you know the composer? Uh, yes. Is uh, I could send you the link later on. Yeah. Okay, that'd be yeah. fun. Yeah. Okay. Um. So I know that you have played in scores uh, for over two hundred motion pictures. Could you tell us how you got started in film recording work? I think I, I just got lucky. Um, when I moved to Los Angeles, I, I did go and play for the person who was the head honcho in, in the bassoon world here at the time. And uh, I did a lot of auditions and uh, just you know getting into the finals or getting the job for several regional orchestras and uh, with the LA Philharmonic. Um, that helped get my name out. Because we, I had no connections here, really. So. <laughs> I see, I see. Yeah, well, just yeah. word of mouth is, is the main thing. I see. Um, how is session work like? Is it, I mean, I could imagine it's, could it be quite stressful, a lot of sight reading? There's certainly a lot of sight reading involved. And uh, sometimes you get the parts in advance, but not often. Um, and... It's very common now to do something called striping, where they record the strings and the winds separately. So you don't have the strings to play into, but you have to just play with other wind players. And um, so that's, that's a little more 
exposed, let's say. So you just really have to make sure you dot all your I's and cross all your T's. <laughs> Hmm, I see. Okay, so, um, so I I noticed that in film recordings, composers often feature the bassoon, and you know we are quite um, not uh, not so well known instrument, but uh, rather soft. Uh, so why do you think composers feature bassoons in films? I don't have a good answer for your question. Maybe because of our unique sound, um, you. The haunting quality, or you know, often you'll hear a comical calm quality, which I—it's not the part of the bassoon I like to promote. But um, um, yeah, I—I'm I, not a composer and I'm not an orchestrator, so I don't have a good answer for your question. I'm sorry. Oh, okay, that—that's—that's that's all right. Um, I also know that you—you you love to play a lot of chamber music, right? I do. Um, yeah. So, what do you enjoy the most of? playing chamber music and uh, what do you think you need for a good collaboration to happen? Well, I, I like all forms of playing. I like playing in the opera. I like playing with symphony orchestra. I like playing in drum chamber orchestra. Um, but chamber music, of course, you sometimes have a little choice in the program and a little choice in who you play with. And of course, there's no conductor, so you the communication with the other musicians is even more immediate than, than if you have to translate everything through a leader. Um, so I, I like, I like putting programs together. I like choosing my, my colleagues. <laughs> Are you often the initiator or do projects just come along? Or? I'd say it's about 50, 50. Mm. Increasingly, I, because I've been doing it a lot and a long time, I, I sometimes get offers of, you know, please put together a program for us. So mm-hmm. That's fine. <laughs> um, are you inspired by other arts like visual arts, literature? What inspires you? I, I would say for uh, nature. Uh, we, my husband and I, we hike a lot and uh, like being outdoors, go to the beach, just um, hike in the mountains quite a bit. So I think the way I refuel <laughs> is, is just through being outside. Uh-huh. Like okay, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I've seen many of your wonderful pictures. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, I'm just curious because um, I'm not so familiar with the American bassoon uh, playing, um, mm-hmm. more trained in the European style. Um, in your opinion, uh, what are the main differences between American and European bassoon playing and technique? Are there any? I don't. I don't think major. I, I really, you know, I I lived and worked in Germany and Austria for twenty years, and I've been here for more than twenty years now, and uh, I, I couldn't point to anything so much. If it comes down to winning an audition, if that's part of your question. Um, I would find in the European auditions that perhaps they were a bit more forgiving of technical. If you have a little technical mistake, it won't kill you. It won't eliminate you from the audition. And here, I think just also because of the numbers, there are just so many people show up for auditions here that they just have to eliminate people somehow. And I find even the, even a slight error can be very costly. (laughs) So, 
I don't I don't find the huge difference between the approaches of playing. I I think you know I've said before. Um, if anything that I changed when I came to the states from Europe is that I tried to make my sound more European here in Los Angeles. The um, the former principal bassoon of the LA Phil studied with um, a bassoonist from Berlin, and uh, the bassoonist who was the main player in the studios had a very dark and German sound. So if anything, I had to dark down here <laughs> to also because of the close miking. So maybe a little bit about sound concept, but um, I would say that in Los Angeles, I can't speak for New York or Chicago or other places. America's a big country. Um, but here the people really prefer a, a dark sound. Hmm. I see. But not so different from Germany and Austria, I would say. Mm. So naturally, you have to change your read somewhat, you know, when you move. Yeah, a, not a lot, I would no. say, but okay. a little bit. A little bit, okay. Did you experience culture shock when you first uh, moved to Vienna? Or... It was it was quite the opposite, oddly. I, I, uh, I arrived in Vienna via train from Paris, and I put my foot on the platform at the train station, and I felt like I had come home. It was the most amazing feeling. And I, I, I have no Austrian fam, you know, in my family, there's no Austrian, but it just it felt like a homecoming to me. And I loved it right away. I loved my teacher. He changed my life. He, you know, really went from being, I don't know what, to really having a chance at being a player. He was a very methodical, very structured, you know, and that's I, as when you ask about the teaching. I try to do that in my own teaching. I try to be just really build it from the bottom up. And um, but you know, I'm sure I had to learn things about how to fit in. And Vienna, have you spent any time in Vienna? Just passing through, yeah. Yeah, it's and it has changed a lot from the, when I was a student there. The Iron Curtain was still up, and uh, so then Vienna was very close to the Iron Curtain and. Vienna was hit very hard by World War II. So I think it was, a lot of things were still kind of, um, I don't want to say dark, but now it is very hip and lively. Since the Iron Curtain opened up, it's it's um, really a different place. So probably as a young American person back then, I had to learn to tone it down a little bit and not be too boisterous in the street or talk too loud in the, in the tram and uh, mm -hmm. But I, I wouldn't say culture shock so much. No, I just loved it. <laughs> mm. Okay, yeah, it's just it's just really interesting to hear yeah, that. Um, yeah, it's um, how you found uh, a mix of both uh, uh, cultures. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, uh, we had one of our um, one of our listeners uh, ask a question, and uh, a pianist asked. Uh, what has been the most difficult decision you needed to make with regards to your career? Have you ever made such a decision? I, I would say it was very difficult deciding to move back to the States. Um, as I say, I didn't, I didn't uh, move back for my career. I moved back um, for my husband's career. And uh, I, I was lucky. I got my first job very young. I was 22, I think. And um, so I'd already played for quite a while by the time we met. And uh, he had just come back from doing a Fulbright in Boston at the Berkeley Conservatory of Music. And 
Um, he was very eager to return to the U.S. He, he, just, he loves the U.S. like I love Austria. So we're a very funny couple in that um, I'm the American who loves Austria and he's the Austrian who loves the U.S. So. <laughs> so that was a tough decision. I had a very nice job in the radio orchestra in Vienna, principal job there, and I had a tenure-track teaching position in Graz, which is the second largest city in Austria, and uh, I, I was very fortunate. And so it was hard to give that up and leave. But um, these are the things you do for love. So. <laughs> Yeah, this is a life, I suppose, a life decision. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah. Speaking of your your husband, uh, Gena Wolfgang. Yeah, I, I discovered his music when I was um, in conservatory. Um, has your perspective towards interpretation changed because you 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 live and you work so closely with a composer? I just think we learn so much from each other, and I think we complete each other in a very good way. I, you, I wouldn't say it had to change anything stylistically to play his music, but he does put a big emphasis on thing. you know, he, he calls his music groove oriented chamber music. And he puts a big emphasis and a lot of it on what he calls time or, you know, just really playing in, in a tempo. And, um, we classical musicians, even in Mozart, we might take a little liberty with a little freedom and, uh, He's not looking for that most of the time. So depending on the piece, I have to make some adjustments that way maybe. But I haven't had to change my playing style so much, no. Hmm. Okay, okay. <laughs> okay. Um, is it also challenging to work with your significant other or to maintain some distance? I don't know. Yeah, I can, I can see, I can understand the question, but... Um, I would say for us, no, I think we work very well together. And it's, I, actually, it's really great when we have a project. <laughs> it's, it gives us something, a common goal to work on. So I, 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 I like it a lot. Yeah, especially, as you said, during the pandemic to edit the album, yeah. Yeah, no, I, I don't know if you saw, he just finding things to do. He wrote a piece for two bassoons, and I, I recorded both parts. And um, that's, that's, people have really liked that. That's um, <laughs> been funny how people have reacted to that. Yeah, so. yeah, really like his music and uh, yeah, yeah. stuff. You know, it's, he says I, when people ask him, "How do you write?" He says he tries to write stuff that he thinks would be fun to play and that he would like to hear. I mean, so it's it his music is fun to play. Mm. <laughs> um, so there's a lot of talk in the classical world to. Um, reduce gender and race inequalities. Do you think that female musicians um, have more challenges than men? Or what do you think? Well, I think traditionally they sure did. I think, yes, that's true. Um, I, I, I did a little talk for, I think it was for Meg Quigley earlier this year, um, where we talked about that a bit. And when I was young, as a student in Vienna, um, I couldn't even audition for, for the the Philharmonic or the symphony, there are five big orchestras in Vienna. And uh, the radio was the best orchestra a woman can get into. They called it the Women's Philharmonic because it was about 25% women. <laughs> um, that has changed, you know, obviously with Sophie Devaux, women can get into the Vienna Philharmonic now and the Vienna Symphony has a, a number. But uh, yeah, I think, I think it's gotten better. If you look at the, the Los Angeles Philharmonic, about half of the wind section are women. 
and uh, I think things are getting better. But hmm. both of my major teachers said to me at one point or another, if they were having an audition and a man and a woman were in their final in the finals, they would choose the man because they would rather have a man in this section. Hmm. So at least I think men can't say that out loud anymore. <laughs> oh, that's right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Yeah. Yeah, there'll be too much backlash anyway. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. Um, as you mentioned, you like to go out in nature, right? And to hike. Uh, what else do you like to do in your free time uh, to unwind for music? Well, I'm I'm a total novice. But another thing I got more serious about during the pandemic was yoga. I like doing yoga, and uh, I like watching movies. I like cats. I have. <laughs> Oh, we yes. have two beautiful cats. <laughs> yeah, I think I saw one cat just now. <laughs> oh, did you one cat? That's very possible. Yeah, they, they run the house. Oh, okay. <laughs> okay. Um, do you have any upcoming projects you're looking forward to this year? Uh, we're, um, I'm trying to start a trio with clarinet and oboe with uh, two young players I admire very much. And uh, we have our first concert coming up this month, so I'm excited about that. And uh, we'll see where that takes us. Yeah. And then we've got some chamber music in the, in the beginning of 2022. I've, I'm very fond of, I'm sure you know, the Debian Quartet in C major for bassoon and string, uh, bassoon and string yes. trio. Yes. So I put together a program with that. And uh, my husband has a piece for bassoon and cello called Common Ground going to perform that and uh, doing a program with um, flute and harp which I love playing with harp it's have you have you done any chamber music with harp oh yes uh, I used to have a duo with harp yes it's like my favorite thing (laughs) yeah it's so so wonderful to play with that sound yeah because it's um different tone colors opposite yeah 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 Yeah. so there's a couple things coming up this year Oh, great, great. Okay. Um, if you could um, tell your 18-year-old self a piece of advice, what would you say? I would say believe in yourself. Um, you know, I come from a very small town. I just I didn't have any examples, really, of what a career in, in music could be like. Um, I think if you... Can just get yourself and get yourself a mentor, someone who can show you the way. You know, it's just very helpful and instrument selection and school selection. I, I was lucky the the schools I ended up going to, but it was kind of just by luck. It wasn't. I, I think people today are more savvy, and it's easier with the internet, of course, that you can look at schools, listen to the ensembles at the schools, and get some might have a lesson online with a teacher. You don't have to fly all over the country to. So it's all this was all not possible when I was looking. So, but uh, yeah, I, I'd say get yourself a mentor. Believe in yourself and do your homework. You know, I've, I'm surprised uh, when I talk to young players who haven't heard of Turkovich or Tunaman. And I mean, these are people who are still with us. These are not people from another generation. And I, I think people really need to have a better understanding of our heritage, where we come from. So just, you know, listen to a ton of music, 
not just bassoon recordings. When when I was a student, I listened to a lot of um, singers, and I, I'm I'm a closeted oboist. I love the oboe. <laughs> oh, okay. Listen to a lot of oboe recordings, but yeah, listen to a lot of music. That was one of the great advantages of studying in Vienna. They you could go to the opera every night for a dollar. You could hear the best orchestras in the world for a dollar. I mean, you know, it might be five dollars now, but you can go to standing room for very little money and uh, just hear as much music as you can. Hmm. Great. Um, so uh, I end with my final question. Um, since you mentioned oboes, yeah, I would love to get more oboes on this show. Who do you think I should interview next? <laughs> um, you know Nicholas Daniels? You know that name? Uh, yes, yeah. I'm sure he'd be a wonderful interview. Um, if you're looking for any more bassoonists, do you know the, um, the uh, name David Seidel? David Seidel? Sounds familiar, yeah. He, he got my jobs, both the teaching and the playing job in, in Vienna. Um, I can email you that if you want. Okay. His name. He's, he's great. You know, you must know Nicolasa Custer. Oh, no, I don't know. Yeah. I, I, I will send you her name. Okay. So those, those would be my suggestions. They're just really interesting and wonderful people. Okay, wonderful. Thanks so much for your time, Judith. So nice to meet you, and uh, I'm sure we'll be in touch. And uh, thank you so much for having me. If you have enjoyed this podcast, please like, subscribe or share it with your friends. That would mean the world to me. Thank you and goodbye.